We're continuing our series called Legacy. Uh, years ago, I saw this obituary uh, from this daughter or these, these children about their father. And it's really sad because uh, it's, I mean, it really sounded like it wasn't a very good relationship at all. Uh, I can't read all of it. I'm going to read some of it. I can't read all of it because it'd be totally inappropriate for me to read all of it. But I just, I read this, and even though this is like, these are real people and real lives, there's, there's something, I mean, in this is like shocking when you start to read this. And so it just kind of says, uh, goes, and I'm, I'll be skipping around, it says, born in Galveston, Texas, and gives the dates, and passed away on this date, and says, which was 29 years longer than expected, and much longer than he deserved. This is the, these are the kids writing about the dad. It says, he leaves behind two relieved children, six grandchildren and countless other victims, including an ex-wife, relatives, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. At a young age, he quickly became a model example of bad parenting and a complete, and a complete commitment to drinking drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. He was surprisingly intelligent, however, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. How many of you guys know this is not probably a good relationship that's been going on there, right? It goes on and it says, uh, it, it doesn't get any better. It says his hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing. I don't know why the fishing was thrown in there, but it was. It says, his life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With his passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. No services will be held. The remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray, the family's donkey's wood shavings, run out. How do you guys know that is not a good story? That is not a good legacy, right? I mean, how have you guys would like, I mean, I, I do not want to have anything to do with that. And you have to wonder if this guy, if he could have like five minutes back before, you know, he passed on, if he could read what his kids would, would write about him, if there would be any remorse or if he was just a jerk. I mean, if he just like did not care, if he didn't care at all, if he was just a, seemed like he was a bad guy from the beginning, from the start, who knows? We, we won't know. And then you have to wonder the flip side of that. Like, what if there was somebody who like from the very beginning of their life, I mean, even before they were born, they were like prophesied and declared that this person is going to do awesome things. In fact, even angels from heaven came and declared how awesome this person would be. And if this, I mean, all this happened even before they were born from the very beginning, if that would affect this person's outcome. That's the story I've been drawn to in scripture all week long, because that exact thing happened. And it's in the life of a guy named Samson. So I, I wonder about that if angels would come and declare before all of it started, would that guarantee a win? Well, obviously, as we look at Scripture, we can see it's not necessarily the case. In Judges chapter 13, verse 2, it says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord, here comes this angel, appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And therefore, be careful and drink no, strong, no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall be 
begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So he has, he's taken this Nazarite vow even at birth that no razor would come to his head, that he wouldn't drink strong drink, and that he wouldn't touch dead things. And from the beginning, this promise of strength, of supernatural strength, would be resting upon Samson or would come upon Samson. It's implied even from birth in some ways. And so as we look through his story, we'll see some of his strength resume. I mean, he would end up snapping ropes just like they were strings. He would rip the gates out of the city from the posts and everything and carry them up the hill. He would kill a thousand Philistines, the enemy, with just a jawbone in his hand. I mean, he had an extraordinary resume. It was like he was, uh, I mean, some people think he was like the Incredible Hulk, you know. But I don't think he was. I don't think he was like the Incredible Hulk. And that's every picture you see portrayed of Samson is like he's big Hulk type guy. But but the scriptures talk about people trying to find the secret of his strength. You see, if it was obvious, if he was just this huge Hulk-like person, everybody wouldn't have to wonder where his strength came from because it would look like it was natural strength. I think he was just a regular dude that all of a sudden something would come on him and he would have supernatural, out-of-the-ordinary strength. How many of you guys know that that's what God does in our life if we let him? That it doesn't come from the natural, but if we'll let God do things, that he will come. And even in the natural, it may not look or we may not understand. You may look at somebody, you may not understand what God is doing in your life. But then you see a supernatural power, a supernatural strength. That's what God wants to do. And so from the very beginning, their baby was special. Now, I've been around a lot of parents who've had babies, okay? And every parent, how you guys know, every parent thinks their baby is special, is the one. It's got like, I mean, anointed from God. It was as if the angels came. I've held many babies, and, and people ask the question, isn't he or she just so cute and adorable? And I'm looking at the child going, cute wasn't the word I was thinking of. Actually, um, alien-like, um, there's a warp there, there's a dent there in that head. I mean, I don't know. Uh, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Of course, not your children, right? Not your children, not my children. But, but they, they look, a li- I love kids, but they look a little strange. Their head is too big for their body. It's just the way it is, okay? But every single parent, I've just offended a lot of people. I get it, okay? It's my job. It's part of my spiritual gift. So, uh, but every parent thinks that their child has a special, like theirs is different, theirs is special, theirs. In this case, I mean, Samson's parents could legitimately say that. They didn't even have to wonder. They, their child was different, had an anointing on his life from the very beginning. But here's the thing. Attached, just like parents, every parent kind of has a blind spot when it comes to how your kids are. You know, we have those blind spots. Attached to every strength or every potential strength, there's a potential for a blind spot with that strength. And that's what we see happen in the life of Samson. That even though God calls him, even though God gives him strength, even though God is with him, with every calling, with every uh, strength that God gives you, with everything that God wants to do in your life, how many of you guys know that Satan has a counterfeit temptation for it? He has something that is, that's gonna be, he's going to try to attach to that strength to get you to, to move in a different direction. I know for me, when, when I was growing up, 
One of the things that God wants to do in my life is use my voice. I've known that uh, growing up, but how many of you guys know when I was growing up, it wasn't always used for God, all right? There were many times I remember being a, a young a kid or a teenager, and I always had to have the last word. I always had to do that to a fault. Because Satan always wants to take what will be a strength and turn it into a weakness. And that's what he's doing here with Samson, he's trying to take these strengths and use it into weakness. And Samson had a great strength, but he also had a weakness. And he had a weakness for women in particular. And, and when he didn't get what he wanted, he threw a temper tantrum and he got angry. And, and so here's the story of Samson. Samson grows up and he, he sees this uh, potential wife and he tells his father, he says, go get me that woman because she looks good to me. That's the one I want. And his parents are like, wait, 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 wait. That, that's, that's somebody of the Philistines. That's of the enemy. That's not, I mean, why can't you find somebody of the people of God or our family or people connected with us? He's like, nope, that's her. That's what I want. He starts walking along the road one day and then the lion comes. And many of you guys have heard this story. But he kills the lion because he can, because he's got strength. He walks on, he comes back, and a little time passes, and there's some bees that made some honey in the lion. So he takes some of that honey and begins to eat it. He gives it back to his parents and, and uh, doesn't tell them where it came from. That will become important later on as we'll look at this at the very end. But he goes and he starts to uh, get married, to go through this process of, of having a wedding celebration he invites a bunch of people to this celebration, and in those days, they lasted for days before they would actually become married. And so he invites people to this wedding, and at the wedding, he kind of gets a little bit uh, prideful, a little bit, wants to have some fun with people. And at the celebration, he throws out a riddle to people. And he says this, and here's a riddle he says, uh, with a bed attached. He's like, if you can solve the riddle, then I owe you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't solve the riddle by the end of this, the, these days and the end of the wedding, then you owe me. And here's the riddle. Judges chapter 14, verse 14. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Remember, he's just talking about the lion he just killed. And out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. Days, they, they, they kept going and kept going and finally... His future wife, you know, they start working on her and saying, hey, you've invited us to this wedding feast and this celebration, and now we may go into debt just trying to pay off your future husband. Get the answer out of him. So she would go, and she would pour it on and say, you don't even love me. You hate me. Please tell me the riddle. And he's like, no, I haven't even told my parents, so I'm not going to tell you. And so finally he gets worn down, and he just says, okay, fine, and he tells her, the riddle, and she goes off and tells them, and they figure it out. In Judges chapter 14, verse 18, the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, the time was running out. What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if that's the best choice of words to use about your future wife, um, so he gets, he gets all mad and he goes off and he kills 30 guys, takes their clothes and gives them to these other guys. How many guys know there's always a potential weakness and he would continue to, to 
be manipulated or to use his strength maybe in a way that God didn't intend, but God can always use it for his purposes in the end. And uh, so that's what he did. He went out there and, and he kills all these guys. He brings back the clothes and, and he comes back and later he goes to visit uh, the father-in-law and he wants to get his bride. Well, meanwhile, the father-in-law with his bride says, um, sorry, I gave my daughter to somebody else. Maybe he thought Samson wasn't a great fit <laughs> after killing the guys and the heifer comment. That probably did it. And uh, so he gets mad. And he goes off and he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in between each pair and lets them loose in the fields. And now they burn all the fields and now everybody's mad at Samson, right? How do you guys know he's gone from just a regular day to things going pretty bad, right? He's making a pretty big mess along the way. Again, attached to every strength, there's an opportunity for a blind spot. There's an opportunity to really misuse the opportunities God gives us, maybe to misuse relationships God gives us, to misuse strengths that God gives us. And, and we'll see why in the end God can still redeem it all. But Samson's anger kept making mess after mess after mess. And, and this is what happens to us when we take God's strength and we end up using it for our own means. We use it for our own end. We we use it for, to fuel our personal desires, our personal wants, instead of God's will for our life, instead of God's purposes for our life. And we end up using it to, to get what we want rather than a gift to serve what God wants. And so how is it that angels can come from heaven and declare this guy is going to be awesome and live for God and all this stuff, and yet it seems like he continues to make a mess out of it? It just shows that even if... You have these things that God has called on your life. We still have opportunities to, to mess it up. And why is that? Well, I'm going to illustrate it uh, by also sharing some news with you uh, for, about our church. So watch this. All right, got some exciting news. I'm standing in the brand new space that we acquired just on the other side of Journey Kids Auditorium. We've taken on this new space. We're expanding out. It's awesome. We've already had an Elevate service in here. It's going to be used for Elevate. It's going to be used for a second auditorium on the weekends because we believe God is going to continue to grow. The kingdom is going to expand. Great things are going to happen. <clears throat> All this stuff that we've done here, we can take to a new space so it doesn't change any of our vision as far as what's happening happening, but so many things are going to happen in this space. So many people put their time, effort, and, and work into this to make it happen over the last couple months behind the scenes. It's awesome. It's amazing. You might be saying, well, why would we take on more space when the whole world seems to be shrinking back? Why would we take on more space? It's because I've been telling our ministry leaders, I've been telling our teams that in these times, times like this, you cannot forecast what's going to happen next. You can't try to predict it. And so in times like this, what we really need need our options. What we need are opportunities. This space gives us options, opportunities when we can't forecast. And that's how God works. He gives us opportunities. Why in Samson's story did it not all go as you would expect with the angels coming down from heaven saying he's going to be a special chosen person? And why is he making a mess out of all of this? It's because where there are opportunities, there's potential for a mess. God doesn't just come 
and write the whole story for us, hand it to us, and then we're like robots and we walk it out. He, no, he, he starts with a chapter, this blank, and he partners with us to walk it out through opportunities. He doesn't just give us a race that's already been run for ourselves. He's ran the race, but he gives us this opportunity to run the race. And where there's an opportunity to run the race, there's potential for messes. And so many people don't even take advantage or don't even step into the opportunity we're talking about legacy and, and we've listed off all these names and all these people that God used, you know, some failed, some succeeded, some had, you know, great moments and bad moments, but they left a legacy of some sort. But there are some people in the Bible who we don't even know their names. We don't even know their names because they didn't ever step into the opportunity that God had placed in front of them. And a couple of them are found in Luke chapter nine, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. Uh, but just for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It, it seems like Jesus is being like extremely harsh here. I mean, there's a guy who just says, hey, let me go to my dad's funeral and then I'll come. And, and it seems like really harsh. Well, the issue is that's not what this guy was saying. See, in, in those times, it was the son's responsibility to really live at the ranch, to live at the farm, to live at the house, take care of things until the father passed away. And then he would receive an inheritance and then would be free to move on or to, to continue on. And so what this guy was really was asking is, well, I, I just don't really want to leave all of this. I don't want to leave my responsibility. I don't want to look bad. See, it's like with the prodigal son. I mean, his, his issue wasn't that he, he asked for his inheritance. His issue is that he, is, he asked for the inheritance before the father had passed on. And so the, this guy is saying, I, I don't really want to do it now. It's not convenient for me. Here God gives an opportunity to this guy. He could have been the next Luke, the next John, the, the next Mark. But instead, he just, he opts out. We don't even know his name. We don't know the names of any of these guys. It's just some guy. The rich man comes to Jesus and we just know him as the rich man because he didn't take his opportunity. And so Samson's in this place where he's making a mess of things because there are opportunities. And, and you may find yourself in a similar spot where you feel like, man, I've made a mess of things. And if that's where you're at, good for you. You've taken some sort of opportunity. But I, I have good news and I have bad news for you if you're in this situation. And good news and bad news. And everybody likes the good news first, so let's take a look at the good news first. All right, the good news is this, and I've shared this before, but this is powerful. God can use you in spite of your mess. No matter where you're at, no matter how bad you mess it up, God can use you. Judges chapter 14, verse 4, when he was trying to get a, a wife, and he said, hey, go get her because she looks good to me. And his father's saying, no, uh, not, not, not them, not, not her. And it says his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord for, because God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And so God is like, even in Samson's mess, he's like, I'll, I'll turn this into a testimony. I'll turn this into good. God can use you. 
In spite, the Spirit of the Lord kept coming on him, using his strength, even if he had wrong attitudes, wrong motives, wrong actions. God still used him. How do you guys think it's so good that God's grace is bigger than you think it is, right? It's like my son was preaching in Elevate uh, last Wednesday, and he, he said it this way. He said, grace isn't just a one-time use. How many of you guys are thankful that grace isn't just used one time? It's not just used two times. It's not just for, good for a thousand times. It doesn't have a shelf life to it, right? That God's grace is so big, and that's so good. If you find yourself in a mess, you've made a mess out of things right now, I want you to know that God can still use you in spite of your mess. And we see all through Scripture how God used people, even though they were messed up, even though they made mistakes, even though they had gone in a wrong direction even at times. God still used people. He still redeemed them. And that's good news. Are you guys ready for the bad, bad news? I'm glad you're sitting down. Okay, Here's the bad news. God can still use you in spite of your mess. At least for a season. You say, well, why is that bad news? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Weren't you using me, God? Weren't you, didn't I see all this fruit? And some will cast demons out in your name and do mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, the good news is God can still use you in spite of your mess. And the bad news is that God will still use you in spite of your mess. And you may be thinking, hey, there, look at all this fruit in my season. And even though there's a mess, I can just keep living in it and keep doing this. And we may still see fruit in our lives for a season. But it doesn't mean just because you're seeing things, it doesn't mean that that's God's blessing. It may just be that that's God's grace. See, so many times we end up just walking forward and we think, well, nothing bad is happening. So I must be living in the blessing of God. It may not be God's blessing. It may be God's grace towards you. And he wants to accomplish, he's going to accomplish something through you either way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Paul talks about this. He said, those others do not have pure motives as they preach. Surely there aren't preachers who don't have pure motives, right? It happens. It happened in Paul's day. He said there was those who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. And they preach with selfish ambition. Not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. And then Paul does, he says something crazy. He says, but that doesn't matter. He says, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Have you ever wondered why God would continue to use people when, when you find out, it's like, well, they had even wrong motives the whole time. Why would God allow that? It's because God will still use you in spite of your mess because the message of the gospel is more important than anything else and he will allow it to continue to be preached even for a season. He, he does this all the time because the message trumps the messenger and so the message of the gospel is more important and if more can be reached and more can be saved even with an imperfect vessel, God will still use that. And so as we, we get ready to, to come in here for a close, I'm going to share the famous story of Samson. After all this stuff happens, you guys know the story that Samson sees another lady that he likes, a lady by the name of Delilah, right? 
So he falls in love with Delilah, and, and all of a sudden, these people want to figure out, well, again, what's Samson's strength? And so they start to come, and they offer Delilah money and all this type of stuff to say, if you can figure it out, then we'll come in and we'll take him out because he was causing them some problems. And so, so Delilah comes to Samson and says, tell me the, and she sweet, talk, sweet talks him, you know, and, you know, uh, tell me the secret of your strength. And he goes, well, if you, if you take these seven ropes and you bind me up. And so she hid some people in, a, in her house and she tied them up and Samson, the Philistines are coming. He snaps them all and he goes and he beats them up and they run away. And so they come back again. Okay, that didn't work. And Delilah comes to him again. And you just, you totally made me look bad. You, you don't love me and pours it on thick. And finally he says, okay, well, it's a new rope. The new rope is the secret of my strength. If you tie me up with a new rope, it won't work and I won't be strong. Does it again. He beats up the guys again. Comes to him another time. Well, what's the secret of your strength? Well, if you weave my hair into a braided woven rug thing, then that will, that will do it. And so she does that. And of course, you know the story. It didn't work. And finally, scripture indicates he's just worn out. He's tapping out finally. She's come to him so many times that he finally just taps out. No comment, guys. Okay, just, not, just look straight forward right now. Okay, that's all you need to do to have a you know, safe experience here as you leave. So uh, he, he's, he just taps out, and, and he finally tells her. He's like, well, here's the secret. You know, I took a vow of my parents, you know, the angel and the parents and, the, you know, the, the hair. If somebody cuts my hair, it'll be gone, and I won't have any strength. And so she lulls him to sleep. And, and I think we have it here, Judges chapter 16, verse 19. It says, she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man in and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. So many of us, let me just pause right there. So many of us are focused on God's calling. We want to be focused on what God's plan is for our lives. We want to leave a legacy. We want to, we want to make a dent in the darkness. We want to fulfill what God has called us to do. I, I trust that's true in a room like this. But what does it take for you who are so focused, if you are so focused on God's path and God's calling on your life right now, if you're so focused on that, what would it take to break that focus? When some of you are like, it won't, nothing's going to break my focus because I'm so focused on what God has for me. I'm hungry for it. I'm diving in. I'm following after God. You know what it takes to break your focus off the dream that God has for your life? When somebody else gives you a different dream. And it may look similar to the one that God gave you, but it's just slightly different. And it's not that you, you said, no, but I'm focused. I'm focused. No, you're right. You are focused. You just became focused on just a little bit different of a dream than God had for you. And your focus is so strong, so strong. All it takes to break the focus of God's call on your life is for the enemy to come in and to give you a slightly different focus. Maybe to deter you just a little bit. Maybe to get you to focus. In Samson's case, it was to focus on a relationship. <laughs> And finally, that, that deferred, I mean, his mission became Delilah at that point. And, and that, that wasn't all bad because, I mean, God had plans for his life, and God was going to use it, and he was going to turn it around, but that's what happened. 
And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. And so what it looks like is this whole thing that was prophesied from the beginning. This whole thing is going to come and have a sad ending. It's almost as if Samson was going to become one of those no-names in scriptures that we didn't even know their name because they didn't follow after God in the way that God gave them opportunity. And it's like he's stuck grinding at the mill. But what I love about Jesus is when you start to read Jesus into the Old Testament, you start to see the way God works, and God is always a resurrection God. God is always the one that, gives, that give, has grace, give a second chance. And, and this next scripture is one of my favorite scriptures in, in the Bible, and it's because it sounds such, like such a cliffhanger, okay? And it says this, and if you remember, his vow was that he would have, his hair wouldn't be cut. And it says this, as he's stuck there in this prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again. After, I have to say it that way. The hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. And it's like in the darkness of this prison, God was starting again. And his hair was beginning to grow. And no one really thought about it. No one really knew it. No one really paid attention. But God was making a resurrection comeback story happening. And over time, when, before they even realized that God had been rebuilding and Samson's heart had changed and God was rebuilding and regrowing in him the original purpose that God had for his life. And so they, they have a big party and they're, they're ready to bring Samson out because they just want to make fun of him. This was the guy that tormented us. Let's bring him out. And they have a big party. 3,000 of them gathered together. And they bring him out. And God, you know, it, it, Samson says to God, he's like, okay, God, my hair's been growing. Give me one last shot. One last shot. He puts his arms up on the pillars. And he pushes the pillars down and takes them out and accomplishes what God was doing in that moment, in that time with the enemy of Israel. And here's the point that I, I want you to catch. And you may have heard this phrase, but. It's been resonating in my spirit, and I believe it's for somebody today. If you're not dead, you're not done. It doesn't matter how you got where you are. It doesn't matter what you're looking at right now. It doesn't matter how bad it looks, how empty it looks, how hard it is, the pain, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if you've gotten off track. It doesn't matter if you've pursued that false dream. It doesn't matter. If you're not dead, you're not done. And here's Samson. He was waiting and waiting and waiting for his opportunity, and his hair began to grow. My old youth pastor used to say it this way. He said, when you mess up, make up, but don't ever, ever give up. And that line just, just kept coming back to me, kept coming back to me. And some of you are here, and, and I just really felt like, and I, listen, I just preach sermons how I get them, and I just, I just trust that God's going to use them, and that God's timing is perfect. And some of you, I, I believe, have even said this. You're like, I've just messed up God's will for my life. You maybe even said those words in some way in your heart. I've just messed it up. Maybe it wasn't this week, but maybe it was 10 years ago. I've just messed up God's will for my life. And if you're here today wanting to do God's will, I've got good news for you. God's will is always possible. God's will is always possible. From wherever, God's will is always possible. God's will is possible from wherever you are right now. 
If you're standing right now and you say, God, I don't really care about the past, but I just want to do your will, I've got good news for you. God's will is possible from here on out. Your life isn't thrown away. Your life, it, no, God's will is possible because God is a God of restoration and grace. Amen. He is a God who turns things around. Samson's name is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. There's no mention of Delilah. <laughs> I don't believe. He, he's just there and a redeemed person, a person that God used. We're going to have the worship team come back up at this time, come in for a landing here. Restoration, though, it starts with repentance. And the good news is with God, you can always hit the reset button. With God, you can always hit the reset button. And for Samson, it really started with one step. You know that messes generally start one step at a time, one increment at a time. And for Samson, as far as we know, it started when he killed the lion, he walked away, and he came back, and he remember, he grabbed honey out of the carcass of the lion. What was one of his vows? One of his vows was to not touch dead things. And there, when no one was looking, when no one knew, he didn't tell his parents, but there he had crossed some boundary, and he, he thought, okay, this is okay. And from there on out, one step at a time, one increment at a time, he eventually drifted away. The mess usually doesn't happen all at once. It's usually just one step at a time, one compromise at a time, one opportunity misused at a time, one opportunity missed at a time. And some of you may be here today and you are, you're not in a big mess. But if you're honest before God right now, you're in the early steps of a big mess. You're on the front side. And here's my challenge to you. Here's what I felt like God's saying. It's, easy to sur it's easier to surrender when it's smaller. It's easier to give it to God when it's a small step. It's a lot harder when, it's, when it grows big. And some of you are on an early step of a big mess. And my encouragement is surrender to God while it's small. And my encouragement is, is this, to those who may find yourself in a huge mess right now, whatever. It may have taken a series of small steps to get to where you are, but all it takes is one step back towards the cross to get right with God. It's the grace of God. In this moment right now, you can be washed clean. You can have a brand new future. Your conscience can be cleared. You can be 100% right before God. One step back to the cross. One of my favorite stories is Pilgrim's Progress. Have you guys read Pilgrim's Progress or maybe know about it? It was written by, it's an allegory of a guy named Christian who's trying to follow after God and trying to avoid all these different things. The guy who wrote it, wrote it in prison. So he knew something about, he wrote it in prison because he wouldn't deny the gospel, I believe. And so this was real to him. But one of my favorite scenes in that story is where this guy named Christian he finally, after going some distance, he sees the cross. And he walks up to the cross. And he had been carrying a burden on his back the whole time. And the story says that as he came to the cross, the burden on his back rolled away. That's, that's what Jesus does. That's what he does. 
And so I've got good news for you today. Jesus is here to roll burdens away. He's here to take your pain, to take your past and to roll it away. And we can start by just a simple surrender. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to close? Lord, we come before you right now and I pray that anybody who needs that surrender moment would take advantage of that opportunity and not walk away from this moment that you've provided. I pray that everyone here would have a full understanding that the good news of the gospel is that your grace is more than enough for any sin. That you paid the price on the cross. You took all of our sin, past, present, and future, and you nailed it to the cross. You died on the cross, taking our place, and you rose from the dead showing us what's possible and what to expect to give us eternal life. And we can, in one moment, take advantage of that by just turning to the cross and turning to Jesus right now, turning to you. And if that's you and you need to either surrender something or really surrender your heart to Jesus, I'm just gonna pray for you right now and you can just do that right there where you're seated. And I pray for every single person here who may need to surrender something to you or surrender their whole life. That they would understand that as they do this by faith, that they can receive your grace that will wash over any sin. There's no sin that's too big. There's no amount of times that it takes before your grace doesn't work anymore. It's undeserved, it's a free gift. I pray that those people who surrender their life to you right now, that may be watching even online right now, they would understand that as they do this and confess you being Lord of their life, you being in charge of their life, and deciding to follow after you, to follow after Jesus, that they would understand in this moment, the Bible says that you are a brand new creation, you have brand new spiritual DNA, that the past is gone and the new has come. And this really is the beginning of a brand new life. Lord, let that revelation come right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time. Thank you.